Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Ian McLaughlin, John Farman, and I'm Hazel Burton. Got a really jam-packed episode for you today. We're going to be talking about our favourite movie twists. So obviously that section is going to be spoilerific. We've tried as much as we can to warn people, but inevitably we've done a half-assed job of that. <laughs> and then we've got a special appearance from Ian Mayer from The Void talking about a new video game. And we've got a film buff or film bluff quiz for you. So let's start the show. Time for our quiz, film buff or film bluff. And I use the term film loosely because mine's not a film. This is where we have three pieces of trivia and we have made one of them up. So it's the rest of the nerd's job and your job as well at home to try and guess which fact is actually bullshit. Ian, would you like to go first? I would love to. I have written down three synopsises, synopsis, synops. Synopsis. Thank you. <laughs> For three movies, which one is the bluff? Number one. Having irresponsibly spent $100,000 of grant money on a fruitless search for the last lost tribe of New Guinea, a desperate white anthropologist and his family pose as the tribe in a hilarious attempt to fool his peers. <laughs> Stars Richard Dreyfus. That's number one. Number two. After a nuclear war, 99.9% of the surviving human race has become infertile. The USA government, now run by women, send a still fertile man named Hell to rescue a small group of still fertile women kidnapped by mutant frogs who want to breed with them. <laughs> to ensure he does this, they attach a bomb to his genitals that will explode if he wanders too far from his guard. <laughs> Number three. After an explosion at the Richard Steelworks, Aspiring rapper Word, spelt with a Z, loses his hearing. All seems lost until, inspired by his deaf friend Jakey, the broken young man learns to use his hands to communicate, changes his name to Signs, and with the help of rapper friend Fat America, <laughs> enters a mainstream rap battle to prove that no matter what life throws at you, you can still throw down the best. Can I say I own one of these films on DVD? <laughs> So these are the plots of three films plots that you've made films. the plot made of one of Okay. So the first one was the spending $100,000 on a fruitless search for a lost tribe and then having to get your family to impersonate the tribe. Mm -hmm. The other one is the uh, nuclear war with infertile people and they've been stolen by frogmen. And the last one is the deaf rapper who learns to sign and enters the rap battle. Which one do you have, John? I, I own Hell Comes to Frog Town starring Valdi Roddy yeah. Piper. Uh, I wondered yeah. whether it might be Hell Comes yeah. to Frog Town. Uh, that one sounded to me like the plot of the Book of Mormon. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do. They okay, have so you've, sex you've with You've eliminated one, perhaps. <laughs> and you said the first one starred Richard Dreyfus, but you didn't mention stars for the other two, which leads me to believe that one's real. Uh, but, but the last film doesn't have any one of any note in it. Oh, okay. I've got a memory of Richard Dreyfuss starring in something terrible, vaguely along those lines. Made a couple of bad films. Is he turned up on the news the other day and said he thinks Jaws should be redone with a CGI shark? <laughs> I did like that West Side Story joke, though. You know Steven Spielberg's redoing West Side Story? Mm -hmm. Says a Steven Spielberg remake of West Side Story where you don't see the uh, sharks for the first hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go with number three as the bluff, the I the want rapper. it to be real. I want to see that film. I think number one is the bluff because I just think that's an, an Ianism. Could we ask some I... questions about the film? Yes, you can. Does Richard Dreyfuss black up? <laughs> Short Circuit 2 style. His whole family do, yes. Okay. Do you want to ask any questions about the, the rap film? So he's deaf. He becomes deaf, yes. Yeah, so, so why can he not just still rap? He hasn't learned to speak properly because the deafness causes... I won't do an impression, but it's difficult for them yeah. to be able to rap. So he uh, learns sign language and, he, and his friend Fat America actually interprets for him. Okay, so he's doing the sign he language the Fat America and Fat America is doing the actual, doing the actual Fat America. Down, but it's freestyle, <laughs> okay. freestyle rap, so he has so to interpret on the fly. Okay. Yeah. That feels and it's like... called Fat America and he's not fat. Is it PH? It's, fat? Uh, it's mm. ironic. It's, it's F-A-T. I've got a feeling that that film is made up, but I really want to see it, so I hope <laughs> it's not. 
I and I don't want to see a black to Richard Dreyfus because <laughs> there's no way that could be anything other than hoverable. I'm going to plump for the first one as a bluff. Yeah, me too. So both of you are going for the uh, the Lost Tribe of Guinea. You're going for... I'm going for, for... Pat America and his death mate. Yeah. The bluff is the rapper. Oh. <laughs> it's not real. Richard Dreyfuss made a film called Krippendorf's Tribe <laughs> in 1998 mm. where him and his family black up and make videos, <laughs> post videos of a tribe in situ. <laughs> Now you say the title, I remember... It's I've... unbelievably awful. Wow. <laughs> can I borrow Hell Comes to Frogtown? You can if I can find it amongst the various... It's a great movie. Of... Thank it's you. a brilliant movie. Yeah. It's all shades of camp. Yeah. I watched one of Roddy Piper's films a year. <laughs> I watched Flesh Gordon again the other day. Oh, right. They actually put it on TV now. It used to be a, it used to be a porn movie yeah. back in the day. Yeah, I remember going to see it when I was about 18 and snuck in. I don't know. Did you come with me, Peter? No, not no. that one. Not that one. We snuck, <laughs> we snuck into the <laughs> cinema. After the film. <laughs> not literally either. I used, to, I used to, whenever we were going to try to get and see a, a, an 18 film, I would, I would grow my bum fluff moustache for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then try and get in. Dan, your film buff or film bluff? Yes, my film buff or film bluff is inspired by the news this month about Jon Favreau's live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. And I've taken three stories or three incidents involving Star Wars' most famous Mandalorian, Boba Fett, from the old expanded universe, which, if you know anything about Star Wars, is utterly ridiculous and stupid. So these are the tie novels and comic books and so on? That... Yes, that are no longer canon yeah. because they're ridiculous. So two of these actually happened to Boba Fett in the Expanded Universe. One of them did not. Uh, on The Mandalorian also, I'm very excited that Taika Waititi is mm. slated to direct an episode. Be good. Is yeah. the Mandalorian's ship? Or the, uh, Mandalorian are people from the planet the, the Mandalore. All right. They're a human species, but they wear the cool armour. Okay. And have jetpacks. Number one. Boba Fett has actually been eaten by the Sarlacc and survived more than once. <laughs> Number two. Boba Fett and Han Solo settled their differences and Fett attended Han and Leia's wedding. Number three, one of Boba Fett's cantinas of choice was known as Rimmer's Rest. <laughs> Rimmer's Rest. <laughs> Rimmer's Rest. I suppose it's quite a tiring activity, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to go, I don't know why, but I'm going to go for being, mm. being eaten twice because I'm sure I heard that somewhere before. So, obviously, the last time we see him in the films is he drops into the Sarlacc. Yeah. I mean, presume he's been yes. eaten by the Sarlacc. That's yes, the I, can, mm, to him. I can confirm that in the expanded universe, apparently through sheer force of will, he gets out of the Sarlacc, which no one has ever managed to do. Mm, but then he gets eaten by it again. <laughs> and survives again. That's quite bad luck, isn't it? But he knows how to do it this time. Yeah. Mm. I'll go nowhere near that Sarlacc. Just as a tickle it snitch. <laughs> just have to rib it and then have a rest <laughs> I'm going for that I, I don't think he'd have attended the wedding yeah I think I'd, attended I, maybe but mm, try, only to try and kill him yeah he was best man came <laughs> in on his jetpack with the ring and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going Sarlacc I can't imagine Daniel coming up with something called Ribber's Rest uh, yeah, I, I that's, think that's real. That's real. Yeah. As in the outer rim, I think that's probably yeah. what it means, isn't it? Which is just as filthy, really. <laughs> <which thing happens. laughs> that's why she'd always wash beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he, I think he went to the wedding, but not as an invited guest. I think there's still enemies, and maybe he tried to destroy the wedding. Yeah. So final answers. Wedding for me. Wedding right. for me. Like... The wedding is the bluff. Yay! Uh, yeah, so after Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc the first time, he was captured by Jawas who thought he was a droid. And he lost his memory, ran into Han Solo again, the giant sandcrawler vehicle crashed into the Sarlacc and he went in again immediately afterwards and then got out again. He never attended Han and Leia's wedding, but he was best man at his friend Dengar, the bounty hunter's wedding. Oh. <laughs> and uh, there is an actual cantina on the planet Nar Shaddaa. Is that where they had their stag do? Yeah, called Rimmer's Rest, which I included in this quiz purely because I knew it would make John laugh. <laughs> <laughs> on Hollywood Boulevard in LA, there's a 
cantina called the Scumpton Villainy Cantina, which is a bar set out to look like Mos Eisley. And all the drinks are themed Star Wars drinks. So you've got light side cocktails and dark side cocktails. And it's run by some massive film geeks. Is there any one tune on the jukebox? Uh, you can control the jukebox and all the songs you would expect, including that one, are on there. As it should be. Mm-hmm. Right, who's uh, next? I've got three questions on The Walking Dead. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to watch Walking Dead, I guess. How far in are you now? Um, still on series five. Mm. Are these three questions going to sound like they're going to get interesting before just getting really boring again? <laughs> <laughs> just go around I'll, what I'll do is I'll stop halfway through one question and, and then, then come back to it later <laughs> yeah. the first one is you can buy Daryl's model of crossbow at Walmart for about $300 mm-hmm. mm, yeah, that. the second one is Andrew Lincoln's real name is Clutterbuck <laughs> his real surname and the third one is when... his vest? <laughs> <laughs> and the third one is when he was smaller Carl's stunt double was called John Baldrick. The last one's quite boring, <laughs> so I think that one's real. <laughs> I, think, I think Clutterbuck is real. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew Lincoln is too good a name to be real. Yes. <laughs> he's not actually from Lincoln Cross. From no, I, I bet he's not. The liar. Is it a specific <laughs> Daryl crossbow, or is it just when they wanted a crossbow, they went into Walmart and bought one? It's the same model, which is mm-hmm. uh, actually a Halton Scout HD125, and is a junior model. Yeah, so, that's real. Is this you, a, this is, is a crossbow that was available before the series, not one they brought out since it was the Walking Dead got popular? Available before. Okay. Because yeah. I know you can go into a Walmart and you can buy guns and... Anything. And, Tanks. <laughs> yeah, and people wonder why. ICBMs. <laughs> I want Clutterbuck to be real. Mm-hmm. I think the third one's. I'm going to go bluff. for the third as being the blood. Baldrick. Baldrick. John Baldrick. Bald- yeah. I'm going Clutterbuck. Okay. And everyone else is Baldrick. on the stunt double. Baldrick. The bluff is the stunt double. Mm-hmm. He's, he's actually played by a, a 31 year old girl. Mm-hmm. Normally, is his stand in. Called Jane Baldrick. She's called Ashley. <laughs> oh. Good. Um, mine's also a TV film, Buff or Bluff. I've recently been re-watching 24, Series 6, so I thought I'd do three facts about the Series 24. First one, Alicia Cuthbert was bitten by one of the coyotes during the filming of Season 2. The actors weren't told what would happen from episode to episode, so no one knew if they were going to be written out of the series. And finally, each even-numbered season of the show deals with a nuclear threat to the country. Test of my 24 knowledge. Um... Season two was a nuke. Yes. Season four, I was that not the big virus? Nope, that was season three. Thing. No. What was season four? Season four was um, the nuclear football. And, and what the... was season six? Was that the one with the guy from The Mummy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Arnold Fosley. Season six, a nuclear bomb actually gets exploded in California. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they, they all sound plausible. I'm going to go with the Coyotes one. Because I can't remember the coyotes, I just remember the cougar that tried to eat her. I'm going to go for that being a bluff, because it was Ian in a coyote costume trying to... Bite Alicia Cuthbert. Get Alicia Cuthbert in his claws. I'm going for that one as well. Which one? I'm here. The The first one. Being bitten by a coyote. Yes, that is the bluff. I did make that up. I've also just realised it was a cougar, so even my memory's (laughs) wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, um, they, they never knew um, episode by episode what was going to happen to them. And they were also, a bit of bonus trivia, they were uh, forced to have haircuts very, very regularly as well, so they look exactly the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every couple of weeks, they had to get the haircut. Okay. I would just like go to the producer and say, oh, look, I'm just buying this house right next to the set. What do you reckon? And then kind of get the... That's what happened to face. Carl from Walking Dead. Oh, is it? Yeah, he, he and his family bought a house really near where they film it and then found out couple of weeks later that he was being killed off oh dear <laughs> yeah his father was not pleased <laughs> yeah um it makes sense for a program like 24 for them not to know in advance what's happening to him it, it happened on the wire as well they never knew what was coming up because if you knew in advance what would happen to your character it might affect your performance but if you've got no idea you're in the moment i've really been enjoying rewatching it like season six is the worst but i've really been enjoying it yeah. Season three was my favourite. Me too. That was the one where I got hooked. I've watched one episode. 
of the first season. I'm not a fan of zombies. That are in 24. Oh, you said 24? Walking Dead for some reason. You <laughs> said something happened in there. Zombies take over the White House. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, 24. That has happened. Well, yeah, that's happened. Episodes of Walking Dead feel like they last 24 hours. Keith the Sutherland does look a little bit like a zombie in the later seasons. Well, uh, how many seasons have there been of 24? Uh, depends. There's, there's eight main seasons, and it came back for like 24 Legacy in London for a bit. That's like yeah. nine days out of his entire life. Mm. Yeah, very bad days. Yeah. Are they consecutive days? <laughs> I don't know. They were. How can the same shit happen to the same guy nine times? The box set is called Really Shit Week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was another series without Jack Bauer. Yes, I think yeah. so. That didn't do very well, did it? Well, I was just reminded this morning about. Because we were talking about the Coyotes stroke cougars as being one of the, the worst things in 24. But I'd also forgotten, ironically, about Terry Bauer's temporary amnesia in season one. Being yeah, the early seasons get away with the implausible stuff, but the later seasons are bad generally. Mm-hmm. I'd rather watch the implausible bits in the first couple of seasons than anything from season six or seven. Yeah. But doesn't Alicia get kidnapped about three times yes, in the she first does. season? It gets really grating. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about this? How I got attacked by a cougar. It was in flares on the big map. Uh, and it was uh, there you go. My buff or bluff is to do with action figures. When a film comes out these days, you get the well, since Star Wars, the action figure merchandise is a big part of it. And they will make an action figure out of absolutely everything, even non humans. So I have here three things that have been made and sold as action figures. To clarify, these are not accessories that come with action figures. So you might buy a davel that comes with a crossbow or something. These are things that have been sold on their own as a collectible action figure. Number one is Mr. Miyagi's car with waxing accessories. (laughs) So you've got a little (laughs) bit of wax, a little cloth, and you can wax on and wax off the toy car with your action figures. Number two is the penguin from Batman Returns. Not Danny DeVito, a actual penguin. Oh, the exploding penguin. An exploding penguin. So it's a, a, a toy penguin. I can believe that. With a rocket attached to the back of it. Number three is a slab of meat from Rocky. <laughs> so if you remember the famous scene in Rocky where he boxes a slab of frozen meat in the warehouse, you can buy a slab of meat action figure. Yeah. yeah, yes, no. you can. Yeah, yeah I, no. I know the answer to this because I have seen two of them in shops. Um, so I abstain from this until voting time. I think- I'm going to go for, even though I want it to be real, I hope it is, I'm going to go for Mr. Miyagi's car. Yeah, I think the I'm pretty sure that is the right, the right one. Yep. The bluff. That mm-hmm. is the bluff. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy a penguin with a rocket strapped to its back and you can buy a slab of meat. Oh, wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Very good. Yeah. You can buy um, those Yango Unchained action figures, which were withdrawn after complaints. Yango Unchained. Yango. Django <laughs> Unchained. And also Micro Machines in the 80s released Aliens Micro Machines. I remember those. Wow. Well, in Forbidden Planet today, they had a range of Ghostbusters action figures, and you can get an action figure of Peter McNichol's character, the art gallery guy. Really? Ghostbusters 2, for 25 quid. 25 quid per bargain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even look like him. And now it's time to head over to Mr. Ian Mayer, coming to us live from The Void, and he sounds a little concerned about something. Hello, nerds. I've been worried lately. I've been lay awake at night, worrying about something I'm sure which is bothering us all, which is, I don't know what I'll do when we are eventually attacked by gigantic atomic god monsters from the sea or space or discovered in egg form in an Aztec temple. Anything cagey really, this is what I'm worrying about ever since Pacific Rim, which is, I'm sure we can agree, the finest film ever made about robots punching dinosaurs. I've been wondering what I can do, what, what, how should I prepare against the oncoming mutant dinosaur apocalypse? And it's hard, it's hard to get good information about this. Should I be forming a religious cult or growing vegetables? Maybe stockpiling alien weaponry, it's... it's it's just too tricky. I can't, I can't get good information. But in seeking out information on this, I've stumbled across a computer game, which may be my favourite computer game of this year. 
Into the Breach, published by Subset Games in February of this year, is a rather unique turn-based strategy game about using a team of robots to defend an archipelago of islands full of cities from a insectile keiju horde. And it's super, super cool. It's an isometric game. It's got a very clean pixel art and superb sound design. And the innovation of it is you can see the enemy turns before they make them. So you are faced with a city grid full of natural features like mountains and lakes and rivers and waterfalls. And it's full of bugs and you can see what they're going to do in the next turn. And you've got to manipulate these creatures into doing either harmless things or attacking each other. A giant stag beetle monster may be charging for a city block. If you could push it out of the way, it could perhaps harmlessly hit a mountain or even hit one of its insecty comrades. Now, what the game does very well is it really does create a sense of panic, a sense of high stakes. Um, you're often not trying to find the best option, but like the least worst option, the least damaging. And you're put in a position where sometimes you do have to risk losing one of your droids or losing a city block to prevent something worse happening. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise because the makers of Into the Breach were responsible for the 2012 game FTL or Faster Than Light which was, again, a strategy game, but a very different one. It was a roguelike spaceship management game where you would fly, upgrade, and repair a starship, fending off attacks from other spaceships and dealing with other kind of spacey situations. Now, what this game managed to do extremely well was create that kind of sensation you see in Star Trek where, you know, the engineer has to divert power from shields to engines or from engines to weapons in order to, you know, fluke a win against the Borg or the Klingons. That kind of tension, that kind of danger is a lot of fun to play. Do check these games out. Go onto Steam, look up FTL and Into the Breach. Uh, Maybe the finest game I've played this year. It's hopefully going to provide good advice for how to deal with the inevitable Cajun apocalypse. How comes he's live when the rest of the show's (laughs) pre-recorded? Because I said live without thinking about it. (laughs) Well, the the void is a timeless spaceless mm. entity because so he's he's live only in the sense that the void hasn't devoured him entirely yet mm-hmm. or it has and it's replaced him with a strange alien double if i understand annihilation <laughs> nobody understands annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> And finally it's time for debate nerd the title of the show that peter loves <laughs> <laughs> So this is where we take on a particular topic and debate it, funnily enough. And this time we're going to be talking about our favourite movie plot twists and our favourite, no, the other one, the opposite. Least favourite. <laughs> well, least favourite uh, plot twist. Actually, when I say movies, it could be anything. Movie, TV, books, anything. Yeah. So My life. Your, your life is twisty. Twisty, some good, some bad. Yeah, like every other life. Like a corkscrew of... Paid and <laughs> well, that's what the Australians are going to do too. <laughs> yeah, so is, this is going to have spoilers, right? We'll say the name of the media and then talk about it so people can switch off quickly if they need to. Cool. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> <clears throat> Does anyone have a favourite plot twist then? What do you think is the most classic plot twist? Empire. I am your father. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, here's an interesting one because I wrote mm-hmm. that. That was one of the first ones I wrote down on my twist list. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Star Wars in the George Lucas preferred order of one, two, three, four, five, six, that's not a twist because you already know that he's Luke's father because it happens in episode three. Mm. So at the time, absolutely. But these days, could it be considered not a twist? I think if you ignore George Lucas, <laughs> which is probably a good <laughs> idea. Someone suggested the correct order to watch them is four, five, up to the I am your father. One, two, three is a flashback. End of five, then six. Known as the machete order. The machete order. D- Danny Trejo was responsible for that, was he? <laughs> I <know. laughs> Yeah. Because I think when I was little, I saw Return of the Jedi before Empire mm. Strikes Back. So I already knew that he was Luke's dad. So the revelation didn't shock yeah. me at all. Did anyone around the table experience Empire for yes, the first time? And I did. You didn't know. What was it like? I was genuinely shocked. Oh. It was a huge moment for me. 
I don't think you get those moments anymore, just trying to avoid internet spoilers and something. And also, yeah. there's not been that film that was that big a cultural event anymore. Well, I think we do it with Game of Thrones episodes, where mm-hmm. we just turn mm-hmm. the internet off for Mondays and yeah. Um, yeah. Rush, rush home at the end of the day mm-hmm. to, I mean, to watch it. Yeah, the reactions to the Red Wedding mm-hmm. as a plot twist, that's probably the biggest communal yeah. TV moment we've yeah. had this decade. Apart yeah. from the Great British Bake Off, when Prue tweeted the winner. That yeah, one has that to be was just, Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Did you happen to watch the start of the new series of Bake Off? Mm-hmm. And yep. they have Noel Fielding and Sunday Toxvig <sighs> with her dressed as Marty McFly and him as yes. Doc in that a DeLorean. So awful. Uh-huh. Painful. Really, really D- bad. They did, make, they did make a Bake to the Future pun though, didn't they? <laughs> it was about oh. turning back time to avoid tweeting the answer to who, oh, who was going to yeah. win this second oh. series. It was awkward. Um, I guess the other massive most famous plot twist is the end of planet of the apes where mm-hmm. mark Wahlberg oh, yeah. discovers the statue Not of Mark Wahlberg. Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> uh, youngster very good the original planet of the apes cover has the statue of liberty poking out of the sand with charlton heston on his knees in yeah. Front of it. yeah it's kind of such a famous twist it's not a twist because you already know it my two favorite twists are both david fincher films so okay. seven yeah and uh fight club is seven a twist it's. <laughs> we're talking yes. about obviously we're talking, what's in the box. It it changes the entire ending because Brad Pitt's character wouldn't have done what he had done if he mm. didn't know that his wife's head was in a box. Still the best acting she's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of David Fincher stuff, this is one that I thought worked really well in the book, but not so much in the film, and that's Gone Girl. Mm. Um, because in the book you spend the entire first half of the film from the male character's perspective and it is just completely assumed that the female character Amy is dead and then halfway through the book it suddenly switches to her perspective and she had never been dead, she'd never been missing, she left herself and when you don't know that's coming up as you turn the page it hooks you in for the rest of the story Mm. Fincher didn't quite get that I I never got that she was dead yeah. I was expecting mm. her to turn up. Mm-hmm. It's got the best use of a sea bomb in a film, though. The bit where they're smiling and then Ben Affleck just like whispers into her ear. <laughs> mm. I think on the least successful twist, have you seen Hancock? Yes. I mean, whether yeah. it's a twist or not, but it, it's kind of weird it's about half... that she's a superhero too. Yeah, and yeah. they only reveal that about halfway through the film you've been watching, that she happens to be a superhero mm-hmm. too. And mm-hmm. it makes sense when you know it, but it's just the way it's delivered to you. It I just seems strange. The first draft of that film was amazing. And what got made was so turned down. I think eventually it was called Tonight He Comes and about a... <laughs> yeah, Are as, you as, talking about the deleted scene? As, did that make its way to the film? Because no, I've, yeah. I've seen it on YouTube, though, that, mm. which is about what happens when yeah. a superhero comes. But he's in a metal caravan. He ends up shooting holes in the mm. roof. <laughs> I've always worried about angry sex with Bruce Banner. That could go wrong, couldn't it? I think the director who, um, whether he deserves it or not, is most known for his twists is probably M. Night Shyamalan. He came to the fore with, you know, I see dead people in The Sixth Sense, but I think he might have put too much pressure on himself for the movie Signs, which is a film I was really enjoying because I I like the fact that it's an alien invasion movie, but it's centred on a very small farm and it's about a family who's been through a, a hell of a time with bereavement. But I didn't quite get it. I thought it deserved better than the aliens have come to planet Earth, which is 70% covered in water, and that's what inevitably kills them. And they can be killed with a few splashes of water. It does all seem very convenient. Yeah, it does seem a bit mad. It's like uh, War of the Worlds, where they get killed by the cold virus. It's, it just yeah. felt like exactly the same thing when we saw that. On the Shyamalan front, I like the village. Yeah. Uh, yeah the twist in that, where they're in the present day all the time. And there's like oh the shock value of a car comes past, isn't there, when they when she makes it out onto the road. I think that was just bad editing at the end. I did see that one coming though. Did you? Yeah, quite a long way off on, on that film. My partner saw the end of the sixth the second he got shot at the beginning, she was like, Okay, he's dead and she spent the entire hour and a half bore out her brain just waiting for the reveal. Mm. <laughs> well in, in terms of people who turned out to be dead or ghosts, the others Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really that's got a great kit. twist. Yeah, um, so they're in a house and they worry that they're being haunted and it turns out that she'd killed them all in a um, yeah. psychopathic rage. Yeah, and they're the ghosts mm-hmm. and they're hearing the living. That, that, yeah. That's that's one that mm-hmm. stayed with me yeah. since I, it frightened me when I was a teenager. It was like at the end of Toy Story when you realise Andy's been dead all along. 
have you seen the version of Toy Story 3? There's like a YouTube React video where there's this American housewife with the three kids and they set some cams up and they put Toy Story 3 on, but they edited out the end. So towards the end where they're going to the furnace in the landfill site, it just cuts from that to the credits in silence. <laughs> and it's just this below going, that cannot be the end! That's not right! That's not good! Quite a few adaptations seem to suffer when they have twists. On my list, I came up with quite a few books that had twists that really grabbed me, but in the film version, they didn't quite work. One of those would be Never Let Me Go. The film came out about 10 years ago, had Kerry Mulligan, Andrew Garfield and Kira Knightley in it. The book by Kazuo Ishiguro doesn't reveal anything explicitly, so it's not a shock twist. The protagonists narrate the novel and you're in their world. You just haven't quite figured out what's going on. When you figure it out, it has the feel of that huge shock twist moment. And the film has to explain things a little bit more. It can't get away with being ambiguous and it doesn't quite get there. Mm -hmm. In the same way, the Life of Pi, the film version, had to have that little bit more explanation at the end. Whereas the novel just left you on a note of what you've just read and what really happened being two different things, which Mm -hmm. is something that goes all the way back to Agatha Christie in the 1920s when she wrote The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and revealed that the narrator was the murderer at the end and he'd been lying throughout the entire book, which was something that Christie's audiences were furious about. She had to go effectively into hiding afterwards because Mm -hmm. of the angry letters she'd received. Didn't she used to cheat anyway in that she'd often introduce bits of evidence that weren't revealed? Yeah. I always think it's a bit unfair if you don't stand a chance of guessing. Yeah, it. that's that's what people were annoyed about. They loved trying to figure out who done it and the fact that you had an unreliable narrator meant you couldn't. But as a twist, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And my top book to film example would be I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. The book by Richard Matheson has an incredible reversal of character at the end where everything you thought you'd been reading about, it turns out the total opposite is true. And the man you thought was a hero was in fact the monster. The, whole the movie's time. quite different, isn't it? The movie's mm. totally different. The movie just takes all that out and it's like, Will Smith, yay! The Omega <laughs> Man is kind of keeps bits of that, not to the same extent. That's another version of the That's same it, book, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there's three versions. There's um, the Last Man on Earth, which is the Vincent Price one in the 50s, then the Omega Man with Charlton Heston in the 70s, and then I Am Legend with Will Smith. So it's been done three times and they've never got it right. Wasn't Arnie going to be in an I Am Legend he was a, version he, for yeah, ages? Paul Verhoeven and Arnie worked on it together for a long time. Mm. I don't like twists where you feel like you've been cheated. Mm-hmm. That what you've seen isn't what you've seen. Don't um, you bring up Lost. <laughs> don't you do it. I'm going to bring up a French film called High Tension, which I think was released as Switchblade Romance over here. And it was marketed as like the most terrifying horror film you've ever seen. Bloody bloody blah. And it's really, really good for 90% of it. So you've got a young woman and her friend, knife wailed in Psycho, chasing them around a house, kills her best friend, kills lots of other people. It's a proper, really good slasher, really nasty exploitation film. And then at the end, the twist is that she is the killer, that she and this guy are the same person and it's in her head and she's actually killed all these other people. And it just doesn't work. Mm. And it gives you like flashbacks of what happened and they're just completely feeling, oh, no, that's not what happened. It's not what you showed us. And it's just completely illogical why she'd been hiding under her bed crying for 20 minutes, why she'd been fighting this guy, and how did this... Because yeah. she's a loony. Because she's a loony, <laughs> essentially, yeah. But you kind of, like, really felt cheated. Um, and the other way where I felt cheated, which is the thing that actually started this discussion when we were talking about this online about films, was um, The Prestige. Mm. Yeah. And the twist at the end of The Prestige really, really annoys me because it, it's not the film that I was watching. But like, obviously, it's a sci-fi film. Yeah, it's kind of like it bends the world's rules, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Which just doesn't seem fair. It's yeah. like... Mm-hmm. You, you see, I, that one never bothered me because as soon as Barry comes in, you know you're in another plane of existence. <laughs> um, and anything magical, it's like, well, it, yeah, it's Barry. <laughs> so you believe, you believe Barry has magical powers? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, that... It might just be because when I first saw it, I watched The Prestige over and over again to the mm-hmm. point that I knew every twist and turn that was coming and just loved the way it all plotted out. But I mean, it does foreshadow all the stuff. And, yeah. it, and it, it's quite obvious to me that the guy you see hanging around with Christian Bale is obviously Christian Bale with extra makeup added mm-hmm. because it just looks like someone in lots of makeup. 
so you knew from the start that there was something funny going on there. Yeah, but all I, that is something within the terms of real. It must be like, oh, he's, yeah. he's cloning himself and he's drowning the clones and everything. It's like, what? Where did yeah. that come from? That's strange. It never really yeah. bothered me. I, I think you can have anything happen in a film as long as your rules of the film or the book are set out at the beginning. And to just silly bring something at the end that is completely outside of these rules and realities that have been set up. Yeah, it's a bit like saying, oh, by the way, Aliens landed 50 years ago and yeah, now we yeah. have this thing mm-hmm. and you don't introduce that until the last act. Yeah. It, it just wouldn't yeah. be right. I know a lot of people felt a little bit similar about Shutter Island and the twist at the mm-hmm. end of that. And of meaning everything you've been watching up to this point wasn't real. Mm. And it kind mm-hmm. of reset the rules of the film. Don't think I minded that one. I, was no, I, liked that one. I really yeah. liked that one. But I know I know lots of people who've mm-hmm. seen Shutter Island who got annoyed. I was one of those annoyed yeah. people. I, I, I think I, I remember at the time you'd been yeah, very, very, I was angry very annoyed. About I love I love the film. Still think it's good. Yeah. Uh, a great movie, but it just really annoyed me because uh, I'd invested so much time mm-hmm. in this hunt for the killer, you know, and the, the murder mystery part of the film. You feel it, cheated. It, 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 I just felt a bit cheated. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was a great, it was a great twist. I went, oh, but I still, mm-hmm. oh, but I really wanted him to be a cop. <laughs> I really wanted to solve the murder, and now he's just a loony. Mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a terrible twist. Has anyone seen Angel Heart? Angel Heart is Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. Um, it's Alan Parkin. It's most famous for Lisa Bonnet of the Cosby Show having a nude sex scene where blood rains down on her, and uh, she nearly got fired from the Cosby Show as a result because Bill Cosby was that annoyed. I think she was the daughter of the Cosby no, Show. No, I read completely the different that she'd asked him about it, and he'd said go for it, uh, which I'd... looks weirder given the current. I was going to say it's the worst thing anyone involved in the Cosby Show has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of controversy at the time because it was the girl from the Cosby Show who is now married to Jason Momoa, bizarrely enough. Yeah. So which means Jason Momoa is Zoe Kravitz's stepdad. There's some Hollywood inter-gossip from there. <laughs> Has anyone mm. seen the movie Primal Fear? Yes, with Ed Norton. And, and Richard Gere. Richard Gere, yeah. that's, a, that's a good twist. And it it really hinges on Ed Norton's acting ability because he plays this character who has split personality, is it? Uh, yes, he does. Oh, he's arrested for murdering somebody. He has a split personality disorder and it's possibly this other personality that did the murder. It's a fight club. <laughs> Very similar to a fight club. Different Ed Norton movie. So Richard Gere, he's his defence lawyer and he goes, oh, split personality, blah, 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 saves him, not guilty, you think is the end. And then just as Richard Gere is walking away, Ed Norton starts switching between the two voices and going, oh, I couldn't let you uh, walk away innocent not knowing what you did. And it turned out he was just faking the whole split personality thing. Yeah, and um, it really hinges on Ed Norton's, Ed Norton's and he totally sells it. He's just really good. In it, that last scene and just Richard Gere realising what he's done and Ed Norton just physically changing and you realise that you've been had. And at the time, Ed Norton was really not known as well, so mm-hmm. people didn't know what he was capable of. So it was like a real mm-hmm. surprise to I you at the time. he's a really underrated actor. Mm. Shib is a bit of a bellend, isn't it? I think he's been unduly tarnished. Mm. Like, I think... He's quite hands-on, and then he's got this reputation of being difficult, mm-hmm. whereas actually he just likes to have a hand in how things are done. I mean, you could argue Tom Cruise, say, now is yeah. mm-hmm. seems to have a big hand in what he does. Yeah, there are directors who keep working with Ed Norton, like Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. has him back yeah. for all his films, so he must yeah. be fine. I think mm-hmm. he caused a stir on um, the remake of The Italian Job, but I think it's just because he realised he was starling in a pile of poo. <laughs> I think he said that in the interview. He, he yeah. realised yeah, halfway through making a terrible film. By yeah. that point, you think, well, there's nothing I can do to improve this situation. I might as well just mm-hmm. give up. Yeah. But sort of American History X, he went in and re-edited it, didn't he? He mm-hmm. apparently did similar with The Incredible Hulk, which I think he had a writing credit to begin with, but really inserted himself in the editing. Mm. Um, I never talked about the twist in Angel Heart. Oh, I thought... I, I got, the, the twist wasn't that Lisa Bonet gets her baps out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good enough for you. That was good No, uh, so Angel Heart, the story of Angel Heart is Mickey Rourke is an undercover detective. He's hired by Robert De Niro's character to find a missing jazz singer. And as he investigates, it gradually realises that this missing jazz singer found fame and fortune and may have sold his soul to the devil to get that fame and fortune. To Robert Johnson. So he carries on. And then the twist at the end is that Mickey Rourke, he's looking for himself. So Mickey Rourke had sold his soul to the devil and then had injured himself somehow and lost his memory so the devil couldn't fulfil the contract. So Robert De Niro is the devil who has hired this private detective to discover that he is himself so that he can fulfil his contract and send him to hell. 
Now, the twist is lessened slightly by the fact that Robert De Niro's character is called Louis Cipher. Introduce as such in the first scene, but um, it's a great film. It's wonderfully atmospheric. There's a lot of subplot about voodoo and stuff like that, and it it, it looks great. It's Alan Parker, so of course it does. But just this ridiculous, nonsensical twist. But um, still, a recommendation. But mainly for Lisa Bonet's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we should probably mention Marvel's biggest twist which is not the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra, but the fact that the Mandarin is... Not the Mandarin. Oh, not yeah. the Mandarin. It's uh-huh. Trevor Slattery from Croydon. I liked that. I know it annoyed a lot of Marvel well, fanboys. I think as the Mandarin had already been established mm-hmm. as something else. If it had been a new character, I don't think they would have yeah. minded. Have it's- you seen the Marvel one-shots, which is on the DVD of a later film, where they kind of retcon it a little bit? So it's an interviewer interviewing Trevor Slattery, was he called, in prison. And the conclusion is that there is a real Mandarin who is now very annoyed with Trevor Slattery for impersonating him. Mm. Yeah, I can see why people were annoyed at that, because it had been built up as this sinister, quite real-feeling threat for the first half of the film. And when the twist happens, it is a bit of a rug pull. But it's executed so Mm -hmm. well that when you're watching it, you don't actually mind. You kind of forget about all of the serious build-up to that point and it becomes a different film i think shane black manages to do it in such a way that it works was there some fuss about whitewashing with the character before the film came out with ben kingsley being cast as the mandarin who is famously an oriental character ben kingsley's indian because he played gandhi right (laughs) (laughs) would they get away with casting as gandhi now not a chance No. no no But I just I don't remember there being a big fuss over it. I'm surprised that there there wasn't. Uh, obviously, it's fine in the reveal in the film. Kind of takes the sting out of any of those accusations. But beforehand, again, I think if Iron Man three had been made now, five mm, years later, there yeah. probably would have been. Because even by the time Doctor Strange came out, the idea of Tilda Swinton playing yeah. the ancient one, do you stay true to the comic character and have? Mm-hmm. an Asian stereotype, or do you whitewash it? I mean, those aren't the only two options. You could have just cast an Asian woman. But but if you can cast Tilda Swinton in anything, you cast Tilda Swinton in it, don't you? One of my favourite shows at the Fringe this year was Tilda Swinton Answers an Ad on Craigslist, mm-hmm. starring Tom Lenk from Buffy oh, as right. Tilda Swinton. And he plays Tilda Swinton as this cosmic entity who is just on a completely different level of reality to everyone else, and it's hilarious to watch, and exactly how I imagine the real Tilda is, if you ever met her. I've I've seen Tilda Swinton in real life. I stood behind her watching Jeremy Corbyn give a speech at the Glastonbury Festival last summer, and uh, she just kind of floats. And (laughs) I mean, if you imagine what Glastonbury's like, there's a quarter of a million people all covered in mud and sweaty and... On those what in the system until the Swinton just goes through them. It's like just like Moses parting the way. She's absolutely spotless, not in a showy off kind of way. And she, you know, she wasn't surrounded by an entourage or anything. Which just like yeah, she's in a di- she she's, she's from another room. dimension. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tilda, she's the best thing her. in Snowpiercer. Is yes, mm-hmm. uh, it comes great, uh, comes up that? in the show. She references all of her her past roles and the uh-huh. people she studied to uh, emulate those roles. And she's moved into the apartment of a depressed gay man in New York, and she's studying him for her next part, which Mm. will be totally unrelated to anything he does, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And it gets weirder and weirder as it goes on, but is brilliant. How long's Tom Lenk been doing the show? Um, I think they did runs in New York and Los Angeles, and then they did the whole month at the Fringe. He did mention at the end that they were hoping to bring it to London. Yeah. But it's been seen by people like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jason Biggs from American Pie and lots of top American actors. Has she seen it? I would love to think <laughs> that Tilda has been to see it. And I think she'd enjoy it. Someone references The Matrix and she says, oh, I was in that. I was the chosen one. And they go, no, that was Keanu Reeves. And she says, <laughs> well, I played Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Just things that you could imagine Tilda doing. It's great. Which leads us nicely into... Television twists <laughs> like Dallas and that snow globe thing from St. Elsewhere that I've never seen but sounds ridiculous. In Westworld, that's a good TV twist when you find out. Oh, I'm just about to interject. I'm just about to start to watch Westworld. It's all right. Yeah, I it's fine. Mm-hmm. When Rick dies in The Walking Dead, that's a. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Well, this I, may or may not be true. I, I know. Well, it's not true. <laughs> but I have heard he's not coming back for the. He's, this is his last. He's mm. coming back for this season, but this is his last season. 
I'm going to tread very carefully, but it makes sense in terms of something that they've done this season. That means that they've got to go so far away from the comics anyway, that Vic is probably a less essential character in the TV series than he is in the comics. Terrible TV twist at the end of How I Met Your Mother, where you spend eight seasons waiting to meet the mother Mm. and that turns out she was dead. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. The Roseanne twist, where she turns out to be a racist. <laughs> 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 I knew you were going there. At the start of the last series of Roseanne, she wins the lottery, and then the entire last series, it's just bizarre. It's like Roseanne is a millionaire, and um, it's just really eternally all over the place. And then in the last episode, it's revealed that she didn't win the lottery, and Dan, her husband, is dead of a heart attack. And so the entire last season is a fantasy story that she's written to try and cope with her husband's death. How did that go down? Not very well. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And then in the new series, Dan's back and it's just never mentioned. I think they make a one-liner about it being, oh, um, I had a terrible dream or something. <laughs> uh, 24's got loads of twists and turns in it. Never seen it. Oh, you should. I was speaking about this to someone who's watched Air Force One for the very first time and mm. she was asking me for recommendations for other type of films like that. I was like, well, basically half the cast of 24 is in Air Force One, so... I'm I'm always put off by, rightly or wrongly, what I perceive to be the right-wing politics of it. I didn't get that, right-wing politics. No, not necessarily. I mean, you could read that into it, but... Mm -hmm. um, I probably read too many Guardian articles about it. Yeah, Jack Bauer, I don't think he takes one political side or the other. He's just... Mm -hmm. Davey P is a Democrat, because he debates a Republican when he's being re-elected. Is there not some dubious stereotypes about terrorists and Middle East and things like that, in it? A little bit. Yeah, the climate it was made in, that was yeah. the main perceived threat to America at the time. Yeah, but they, they try and interject some commentary mm-hmm. around it. And season two, the plot is around a bomb that it ends up getting detonated over the Mojave Desert instead of its intended target, which was Los Angeles. But because it got detonated, people started to turn on anyone who looked like the terrorists that appeared on TV. And uh, yeah, they, they make a commentary about mm-hmm. how that's, you know, incredibly wrong. Yeah, and lo- lots of people that you don't expect to be villains turn out mm. to yeah. be so. And There's always a mole though, isn't there? Oh, there's always a mole. <laughs> yeah, I know the twist at the end of the first series because I think that's so that's much ingrained in one. pop culture now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Nina Myers, not a, not a nice lady. Not, not particularly pleasant, <laughs> no. It's, it's difficult to do twists in TV series, I think, because there's an element of, not so much with something like your HBO miniseries, but in something that is a network TV series where it's going to run for a number of years and you've got a fixed cast, there's, a, there's that element of stasis, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. One thing that annoyed me with Westfold, I was happy enough with the first season, but I felt they shouldn't have tried to make it as twisty and turny in the second. Now we've told you some truths, let's explore the truths we've told you. As opposed to just, okay, now we're going to baffle you all the way through this one as well. Yeah. There are two very good episodes in it, which are the two that don't try and twist and turn and subvert everything around you. I think with TV stuff, cliffhangers tend to be the way of making it so that the world of the show is now completely different. And if you can do that in a way that tries to retain your audience as much as possible. Fringe did that quite well Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. It would end a season with something that just completely changed around how the show would operate the following season. So you never quite know what was going to happen to the characters next. There'd be parallel universes and time jumps and all sorts of crazy things like that going Mm on. One of my favourite is, it's the start of, I don't know, maybe the fourth or fifth season of Buffy, when she turns to the other girl who suddenly appeared next to her and they both go, Mum! And it turns out she has a sister, but they just reveal it and then cut to black, which is like a... What? Thereby introducing the worst character in all of television (laughs) ever. Not a Dawn fan, though. There's a weird thing with network TV, though, where they've also got half an hour syndication where episodes are just shown randomly and out of order. So you will have a big twist, and then it will just be completely ignored in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's finally changed over the last sort of five Mm. to ten years. Yeah, and I know that you haven't, time. Yeah, you haven't seen this yet, John, but Line of Duty does mm-hmm. twists and yeah. turns very well, in a similar kind of way to 24, I suppose. Yeah, it's well worth watching yeah. Line of Duty. I had it as a generic police procedural yeah. kind of one step above the bill almost. But having watched the first two episodes of Bodyguard and speaking to you, I think, Dan, was it? And Peter. Mm. That it sounds more interesting than I give it credit for, and it is on Netflix, so I'm going to go back and watch that. It also has Sandy Newton in it, who I know yes. you like. Oh, she should have a science show. 
<laughs> where like she discovers gravity, oh, God. which her breasts haven't discovered yet. Luckily. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and this discussion has taken a shocking twist. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend's in the next room listening to every word I'm saying, so we can't edit it out like we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> TV series twists that went wrong. Twin Peaks revealing who killed Laura Palmer. That was, at the time, a twist, but then the series had nowhere to go after. Did they not reveal it at the end of the series? No, they revealed it halfway through series two. And then they tried to tack on extra mysteries and everything, but it just really lost all its momentum. I mean, season two is a mess anyway. Was there like a a difference in season order from the network halfway through the season or something weird like that? There was an order from the network that they wanted the killer revealed because David Lynch didn't want to. Hmm. Um, so it was under pressure, so they had to be like... Was that because they thought you just never would? Yeah, I think they just thought people are waiting long enough and people are losing patience with it. That's another problem with TV shows. If you want to reveal a big twist a certain amount of the way in, you have to hope you don't get cancelled. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Flash Forward and The 4400 and shows that finished before they were supposed to, mm-hmm. that probably had big reveals that they never Fire got to tell. for example, yeah. obviously, mm-hmm. with the stuff that's in Serenity. Mm-hmm. Any other TV twists? Grey's Anatomy. Uh-huh. It was George, <gasps> season oh. five. Is that a twist or just a well, very sad moment? Well, they hadn't identified who the patient uh, was yeah. and he had 007 written and they figured yeah. out that this horribly burned victim was mm. George, their friend, Yeah, and he died. So he was given the name 007 because uh, licensed to kill because he, he was not a very good doctor at the start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he got better. He was very good by yeah. the time he died. Oh, yeah. So in summary, do we like twists overall? Yeah. I came up with more good twists than bad ones yeah. on my list. So, yes. And I think the moments that we talk about in the film and TV tend to be either big emotional things or the twists. Those big water cooler moments. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you very much for listening. Before we do our traditional goodbyes, Peter has asked me, persuaded me, staring at me intently right now, told me to say something. Stick around till the end of the episode because there will be an awesome post credit sequence that you'll find very amusing, I'm sure. He's plotting something very, very clever. Very clever. Very clever. It's very clever, Kat. <laughs> I don't know why, why I went all I feel like we're in a murder mystery. <laughs> Catch us on social media at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. Get involved in our discussions. But in the meantime, you've been listening to... Dan Watkins. Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson. A plastic slab of meat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. And I'm Hazel Burton. We'll see you in the next episode. See you soon. Bye. 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 Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we have got... The first one. <laughs> what? 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 I'm doing it in order. You, say, you just have to say uh, your name. Uh, say your name. <laughs> okay, go again. <laughs> say, repeat after me, Daniel Watkins. That's the one. <laughs> um, okay. Say your name. Just have to say your name. Repeat after me, Daniel Watkins. The first one. What? what? Say your name. Just have to say your name. Say Daniel Watkins. Dan Watkins. That's the one. <laughs>